Hello, Marketeers. Welcome to another episode of AEC Marketeer Podcast, exploring AEC marketing and beyond. I'm your host, Keelan Cox, and I'll be exploring marketing trends and answering your most pressing questions to help you thrive as an AEC Marketeer. All right, Marketeers, thank you so much for joining me. Today, I have on Christina Inge, MS. She is a leader in digital infrastructure and outreach. As the founder of ThoughtLight, a Boston-based digital media agency, she empowers marketers to utilize digital media to serve communities, causes, and businesses. Christina is actively involved in the Boston startup sphere and has won the FUSA Award for Teaching Excellence at Harvard Division of Continuing Education. Welcome, Christina. Great to be here. So before we dig into what I brought you on here to talk about, which is marketing analytics, I'm curious how you got started in the marketing analytics sphere. What's your story? Well, I got started in marketing itself. I was originally a copywriter and a journalist. And I got one job as an ad copywriter. One of the advertisers for a magazine that I was writing for needed some ad copy written. And my editor at the time said, you'd be perfect for this, referred me for the job. The rest is history. I really got bitten by the marketing bug, so to speak. Uh, Transitioned there from there into market research. And when I was working in market research, that's when Google Analytics first came out. And it was revolutionary that you could see what people were looking for on any website, what they were looking at on any website, and get a sense of what they what they were interested in and what they needed from your brand mm-hmm. without having to do a costly survey, which is what we were really relying on in those days in the early 2000s. So I've been involved in the marketing analytics space ever since really Google Analytics was quite new. I was working for Elsevier at the time, learned about Google Analytics, started using it as a add-on to the market research that I was doing. And then as I started to work for different startups, they obviously had no budget for market research. So I started to rely more and more on web analytics. And as they say, necessity is the mother of invention. I started to brainstorm in the early days of web analytics, how to use web analytics tools to understand your target market in ways that others were just not doing at the time because they had more resources. So in the startup world, we really had to learn to be more resourceful. And That's really what started me on my marketing analytics journey. That was well over 15 years ago. And I continue to be very passionate about analytics to this day. Perfect. And your bio didn't say this, but you actually wrote the book on marketing analytics that we used in our course, which is incredible. And many of your guests have pointed that out. Yes, I've actually written two books on marketing analytics. The first is Marketing Analytics, A Comprehensive Guide, and that's from Flat World. And it's a textbook, which is really a comprehensive guide, as the title suggests, to all different marketing analytics types of tools, as well as how to use analytics to measure different channels like email, mobile, video, and marketing automation, as well as web analytics. 
And then marketing metrics is from Kogan Page, and that's a guide for managers on how to use numbers strategically to make business decisions across your organization. So I like to think the two books work together very well. But again, I especially would just like people to buy both books, though. So I might be biased. (laughs) (laughs) So given your background, what are some of the trends you're seeing in marketing right now? I'm seeing a lot of change. A lot of folks are worried about chat GPT Mm -hmm. taking our jobs. But I would say overall, it's, I think, going to be a net plus for marketers. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But looking at the bigger picture, all AI, artificial intelligence, and machine learning are transforming every single aspect of marketing mostly making it more powerful. We have, for instance, just in in my space, in Google Analytics, in my industry, web analytics, it used to be that you had to be a big organization with a lot of money to be able to afford a platform that could look at the people coming to your website and predict who was most likely to buy. Now Mm -hmm. we all have that tool for free built into Google Analytics 4, which is the latest version of the product. Absolutely unimaginable a few years ago. So there are a lot of pluses from the advent of AI and machine learning. And and by the way, those two things are not entirely synonymous. Machine learning is about using large data sets and mathematical algorithms, aka algorithms, to make predictions about data, about behavioral patterns, or understand, classify, and categorize those behavioral patterns, or just put them into a better perspective. Whereas artificial intelligence is much more sophisticated. That's when we have computers basically learning and understanding and making decisions. And a lot of the things that people think of as AI are simply machine learning. Okay. Um, That, on the other hand, is just a really fine distinction when it comes to what we're seeing in marketing, which is that everything from how your website's going to rank on Google via SEO practices or your advertising and how it's going to reach your intended audience, more and more of the stuff manually we marketers had to do, like picking the audience that we were going to target, more and more Mm -hmm. of that, I think, is going to be taken over by machine learning. And part of that, if you're a small organization, you're a one-stop shop, you're a marketer, you don't have any resources other than yourself, it's going to really help you because it's going to extend what you can do, right? You don't have to become an expert on media buying because the Google, Meta, all of these tools will automatically figure out how to place any ad that you create in front of the right audience at the right time with very little input from you. You still need to know a little bit about it, probably more than many people think, but it's getting easier. So that's the plus. On the other hand, I really do worry about a lot of the entry-level marketers who are coming up right now because the negative of all of this is that a lot of basic jobs where you're cranking out web articles or you're designing ads, those jobs honestly are right now being taken over by generative AI models like ChatGPT that can crank out a blog post in like a few seconds. 
So there's pluses and minuses depending on where you are in your career. I think those of us who are more senior are going to be the least affected. Those of us who are most junior going to be the most affected and the size of your organization. The smaller the organization, I think the more that your benefits from AI or machine learning are going to outweigh the negatives. Okay. I hadn't really considered the different phases of a career that a marketer might be in to where this would impact them. So that's an interesting take on that. Yeah. And time will tell, right? I'm not, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, but this is definitely what I'm seeing in how people are using and how organizations are using AI. Got it. So in B2B marketing, which is predominantly where the AEC space lands, what do you find are the most useful marketing analytics tools to be using? I think the number one marketing analytics tool all of us should be using in all spaces, but especially in B2B, is your marketing automation platform. Because Mm. with B2B, it's very high touch and you get outstanding analytics from a marketing automation platform from your CRM, your customer relationship management platform. If it's configured properly, it's going to tell you everything that your customers have had as a touch point with you, when they last interacted with your team, how they became a lead in the first place, what the outcome was of the last interaction your team had with them. And I'll give you one example of why this matters. So let's say you are a small emerging B2B company and you've got maybe three ads out there. One is that your product is a good value. Another Mm -hmm. ad promotes your product as having, you know, you have excellent customer service. And a third one talks about the pedigree of your company, how long you've been in business and how trustworthy you are. And you don't know when you're interacting with a lead, which one of these ads they interacted with. You don't therefore know what is it about your organization that's most attractive to them. Is it the fact that your prices are good or is it the fact that you've got good customer service or is it the fact that you're reliable? If you have a CRM and if you have marketing automation, you are able in an instant, the minute you call up that lead and start interacting with them, you pick up the phone when you're talking to them and you will be able to see what brought them in the door, why they interacted with you, what parts of your organization's value proposition or or your key selling proposition were the most interesting to them. And then you can speak to that and therefore close more sales. That's why I'm a big believer in that. So all of the analytics that flow out of that, that's where you should really be putting your effort is tracking each individual customer, how you acquire them as a lead, what that tells you about what they're interested in, and then tracking throughout the sales process, how they're reacting to your messaging, how they're interacting with your sales team so that you can tailor your pitch and your offers better to them. I love that. That's so true, especially in this industry where a lot of us are providing similar services or almost the same services to try and figure out where you're different is the biggest struggle to really know what messages to hone in on. So that is, that's huge. Yes, absolutely. So then we had talked about this in class and I should mention this. I forgot to say this, that you were my professor 
So in class, we had talked about vanity metrics versus real marketing analytics. And vanity metrics is a term that I hadn't come across until our course. And so could you describe the difference between those two and maybe provide a few examples of each? Absolutely. So a vanity metric is any metric you can look at and it will tend to make you feel good about how your marketing is going or how popular your organization is. But at the end of the day, it doesn't give you any useful information that will help you land, you know, land more sales, land more leads. There's no one metric that's always going to be guaranteed a vanity metric. But one thing that I often tell people is, for instance, site visits can often be a vanity metric. You could do an ad that's poorly targeted, is missing your key audience, for instance. It's targeting people who are too junior to become customers. And your web traffic could still go through the roof, right? Because people are clicking on it. Everyone will say, oh, well, this ad was very successful. We had a lot of people clicking on our ad. But at the end of the day, it did nothing to drive your sales. So in that case, yeah, it's a vanity metric. You'll look at it. You'll think, oh, this is great. We're doing wonderfully. We're getting all of this web traffic. It isn't, as a early boss of mine said, you know, clicks don't get me excited. Clicks are not sales. So what you want to be careful of when you look at your metrics is, does this really correlate to sales? Can I logically make the argument that guaranteed if this metric goes up by, let's say, 20%, sales are going to go up by a corresponding amount, maybe 10%? Right. Or is there a theoretical way in which this could be absolutely not tied to sales at all? It could be a measure of something else entirely like our ad. Yeah, it got people excited, but it was the wrong people. And any metric where you're just not seeing the payoff in either sales or conversions or whatever it is that you're trying to drive, that's going to be a vanity metric for your organization. It's going to be a metric that at the end of the day looks good, doesn't necessarily actually get you anywhere. Got it. Okay. Because a lot of the metrics that I was aware of prior to this course would be like, number of followers on a LinkedIn account or number of likes on a certain post. So I suppose in this case, those might be vanity metrics if they're not translating to actual business down the line. Yes, they can be. And I do want to point out that honestly, any metric can be a vanity metric, but also any metric can be a real metric just because sometimes people will not look at it and it'll seem like, okay, this doesn't necessarily correlate to sales. You have to look at what the net results are in each case Mm -hmm. of whatever you're measuring. Maybe every time you do get a bunch of likes on a social media post, you do see a growth in sales and it doesn't have to be immediate. You know, it it could be that you know, five, 10, 20 weeks down the line, you end up making more sales because you got reach on your social media. So also I want to be cautious when I talk about vanity metrics, because it's also true that some organizations go in the other direction entirely and they'll write off any metric that doesn't correlate immediately to like a sale the next day. 
as, right. oh, that's irrelevant, right? Social media followers are important. Email open rates are important. They are a leading indicator. In other words, an early indicator that you're doing something right. So don't write off every metric just because right now you're not seeing like sales immediately jump the instant that you see a growth in your social media followers or your email open rate or something like that. Okay. Always take take the long view and really look seriously at your own business. Okay. Yep. That's good advice. So then can you explain what's going on with cookies <laughs> and what we can expect in the future? Because I know as just a consumer, as a web browser, I keep getting the pop-ups to either, you know, accept cookies, reject cookies. Prior to this course, again, I had no idea what they were even being used for. So maybe touch on why they exist, number one, and then what in the world is going on with them at the moment? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you asked that question. So cookies are, to make it super straightforward, it is, it's a little bit of a code. A cookie is a little bit of a code that is attached to your browser to track your online behaviors. And a lot of them are completely benign. They are, for instance, being used to track what your login is and what you last bought on websites that you regularly use. So okay. it Again, it can often be absolutely necessary to use cookies in order to give people the best customer experience because they might need cookies, for instance, to track what you, you have already read on a website so that it's already marked as something that you've read or what products you've browsed, etc. Right. So that's a use of cookies that's not going away. You can opt in or opt out of them. That's what those pop-ups are on different websites. The cookies that are more controversial are those that will track your behavior and send that information to ad networks in order to get a profile of you as a consumer. And then based on that profile of you as a consumer, target you for advertising. Those are what are called third-party cookies. Okay. Browsers are, for the most part, increasingly blocking those cookies. Google's Chrome product was supposed to block them this year. It's been delayed for a little while. However, that is still going to happen, that those cookies are being blocked. Safari already blocks them. And those third-party cookies used to make it very easy for us as marketers to be able to find our target audience have good data on who they are via any ad network we selected and target the right consumers very accurately based on their known web browsing history. Mm. But it was very invasive and rightfully so. A lot of people were pushing back on them. Sure. We can't do that level of tracking anymore because those third-party cookies are being blocked. The big Web companies like Meta and Google track all of their own users. That tracking is not going away because that's not a third-party cookie. That's a first-party cookie. You're getting tracked by Meta whenever you use Instagram or WhatsApp or Facebook. You're getting tracked by Google whenever you use their Chrome browser. Mm. So 
those cookies are not being blocked. And I think what it's going to do for us as marketers, unfortunately, is we're going to have to increasingly spend our ad dollars with those web giants, with Meta, with Google, in order to get the most accurate data. And just to be clear, even Meta, which is the owner of Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp, and even Google are trying to put more privacy protections in place, which means they're going to gather a little bit less accurate data themselves. But at the end of the day, I think it's very likely that they're going to be where more marketers are going to be spending their money because they can give you a little bit more accurate targeting with the end of third-party cookies. Interesting. Okay. So lastly, you have a webinar that you're going to be doing on chat GPT. And we sort of touched on this about how AI and machine learning are changing the marketing sphere. Do you want to touch on that, that event or that webinar? Yes, absolutely. So I am doing a webinar on June 14th, 2023 with the Harvard Division of Continuing Education on how marketing and chat GPT are are changing the jobs that we as marketers do. So the impact of chat GPT as well as AI on marketing in general. I don't know when or where a recording of that's going to be available, but I can tell people that if you go to my company's website, my agency is called Thoughtlight, T-H-O-U-G-H-T-L-I-G-H-T. And I know that a link is going to be provided with this podcast recording. I'm going to have multiple sessions on this topic, as well as some recordings and YouTube videos on this topic. So if people want to learn more, all of those materials are going to be on the thoughtlight.net website for free. Perfect. I was just prior to this conversation thinking about SEO and how I think a lot of people don't understand what that means. SEO in and of itself Mm -hmm. is It's really, really changing. So SEO used to be about optimizing your website with all kinds of different code that would allow Google's search algorithms to be able to correctly identify and characterize your website as being on a particular topic. Right. Google's algorithm has changed so dramatically. It's gotten so much better at being able to tell what's called searcher intent that it no longer really is necessary for you to know a lot of the technical side of digital marketing, of web design, of web development, certainly not technical SEO, in order to be able to be good at SEO, because it really is now more about understanding your consumers, understanding what they want, and then being able to provide content that speaks to your consumers. You don't really need to, for the most part, understand things on a code level anymore. There are some exceptions in some industries, schema uh, and schema markup is the exception. And that's adding, again, want to keep this very general, is that's adding specific kinds of code to your website to identify your content as being of a specific type, like a movie listing or a recipe. And that can be very valuable. That is still like a code level aspect of SEO. But for the most part, because the search algorithms are becoming much more sophisticated, again, going back to what I talked about, about how ChatGPT is making the more experienced marketer's job and the marketer 
at a smaller organization's job easier, this sophistication of the search algorithm and the increasing customization of people's search results to what they specifically are interested in has actually made it easier to do SEO if you're not technical because you just need to understand your customers and be very good at generating content, video, blog posts, et cetera, that would be of interest to them. So if on the other hand, you're on the technical side of SEO, it can end up being honestly a little bit of a setback for you because that technical edge may not necessarily be there. It's really just now coming down to being a content game. Well, that's kind of perfect for the type of marketing that I do with <laughs> like we in AEC marketing, it's sort of like, like I would be primarily geared towards creating content that actually speaks to our clients. So that's excellent news for me personally and people who do what I do, but it seems to be like placing more emphasis on actually knowing your clients then and producing content that's going to speak to them and worrying less about the coding and the words on the back end. Absolutely. It's absolutely about that. So if you come from the creative side of marketing, now's your moment, honestly, now's your moment. Perfect. Okay. So before we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts or maybe like the high level bullet points of what I suppose AEC marketers should know about marketing analytics? Make sure that you use analytics to fully understand your customer. Everything that people have traditionally used analytics for that is maybe a little bit more tactical or a little bit more complex, like coming up with marketing automations or ad targeting, those are increasingly being automated away. So the the human side of marketing is really coming to the forefront, which is great news if you happen to be more creative than technical. So make sure you're using your analytics to get a firm grasp of what excites your customers. What are they most interested in? What do they want to buy from you? How are they reaching you? How are they finding you? What content on your website engages them the most, engages them the least? You can get that from your web analytics. And from there, what does that tell you about what their needs are? That's where we as marketers cannot be replaced by an AI or by any kind of chat GPT enabled bot. That ability to empathize with other human beings and to figure out how best to serve the needs of our customers based on our own understanding of what they need and want. So double down on that. Analytics is actually a very powerful tool for understanding other human beings. And as long as you're using the data for that, not only are you future-proofing your own job, but in my opinion, you're also using data for its most ethical purpose. Obviously, you also don't want to use what you find out about what motivates your fellow human beings to get them to do something that's not in their best interest. But ultimately, I'm a firm believer that using data to understand our fellow people, using it to understand our customers in this context, is a really good use of data because it'll help bring us closer to our customers. It'll help us understand them better. 
and it'll ultimately help us serve them better. Perfect. Well, on that note, thank you so much for joining me and taking the time out of your day to, to chat. Thank you, Keelan. It was wonderful to be here. All right, Marketeers, that is a wrap on this week's episode of the AEC Marketeer podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to Christina. Thank you again to Christina for coming on. As always, if you're enjoying this podcast, I invite you to subscribe and leave reviews. New episodes are released every other Wednesday, and we'll chat soon.